Welcome to Movies Charles and Scene, episode 81. My name is Crossan. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. And each week, Wilson and I share a classic movie we have seen with Charles that he hasn't seen. This week, we watch the 1999 movie, The Talented Mr. Ripley. So Charles, tell us about Ripley. Main character is Tom Ripley, and he gets mistaken for a Princeton alum. So this rich dude sends him to Italy with the hopes of getting his son back. So Ripley gets sent to Italy and bumps into the guy's son, befriends him, and they kind of develop a relationship. I guess it turns out that Ripley is good at impersonating people, so he ends up having an altercation with the son and kills the son and then tries to impersonate him and take all his money and like you know live a rich guy's lifestyle and ends up having to kill a bunch of people to maintain his ruse. Um, it's a murder spree. Yeah, he it kills really three is. he kills yes. three people, yeah. well including the yes. son to maintain this identity theft. Yeah, it kind of ends there. He's like getting away with it at the end. Yeah, he ends up with all the money. Yeah. Yeah. This was my selection. It was. I think this is a great movie. I think that's that's really why I picked it. I think this is a mm-hmm. you know, really good movie. I think it has uh, one of the strongest casts of that era, of young actors anyways, of that era. I think you see a lot of people in the, there's a reason that like four or five of the people in this movie went on to have really great careers after it's this. Incredibly young looking Matt Damon. Yeah, he looks like a, he looks like a boy. I mean, he somehow <laughs> looks younger than he did in Goodwill Hunting, yeah. which I think might be by design. But like everybody here looks like a baby because um, they're all in their 20s, early, mid 20s. Um, incredibly complex, one of, especially for the era, one of the better examinations of homosexuality on film. Um, beautifully directed, thematically crystal clear and coherent and with a great through line all the way through it, um, and a dynamite performance from Jude Law in a supporting role. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think this is just a great film. And uh, young Philip Seymour Hoffman, too. Right. He does not look like a baby. He just kind of <laughs> looks like how he looks. <laughs> um, yeah. He looks troubled. He looks, he looks troubled and is, in fact, troubled. And his character. Kind of old. <clears throat> yeah, yes. he, yeah, he looks older than everybody else. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you look at the cast. You have Matt Damon coming off of his Oscar wins for Goodwill Hunting, follows it up with this movie. Jude Law is, like, the next big thing. Kate Blanchett, who would go on to have a fantastic Oscar-winning career and appear in another Patricia Highsmith adaptation. Um, you have Gwyneth Paltrow, obviously everybody knows who Gwyneth Paltrow is, and then Philip Seymour Hoffman in another one of his career mm-hmm. of great supporting roles. Here's one more. Um, I, I, whoever cast this movie did a great job. <laughs> um, yep. And I think each of them individually just gives one dynamite performance after another. Um, what do you think of this movie, Grassman? It's... Uh, really upsetting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No also that. Yeah. Uh, there's a l- there's some gruesome murders and uh, kind of un- unsettling psychopathy uh, from our main character. Right. Yeah. yeah. Tom Ripley is not a healthy person. He's a serial killer. Yes. I was very surprised by how quickly it got very gory. Yeah. I guess I'm I'm curious about that as well because. I remember the first time I watched this movie, I had no idea it was about murder. <laughs> and I had no idea that we would be following the main character like as he killed a bunch of people well, and tried to conceal it. It doesn't happen until like halfway and in. It's like an, it, it's an hour in, which is yeah. earlier than I remembered it, I guess. Because I, I think Jude Law, who is the first victim here, casts such a large shadow over this film that it feels like he's in the entire time despite dying at like minute 57 or something. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it still takes a little while to get to that point, and then like that's what the movie is about. Yeah. So, did, a, did you know anything about this movie coming in? And I hadn't really heard much okay. about this movie. Ironically, there was a trivia question about it in my online <coughs> trivia league that asks that mentions the three actors that were killed. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> but I had forgotten about that question. Okay, good. Um, but otherwise, I had I had heard basically no other mention of this movie at all. Uh, so I went in not knowing anything about what it was really about or what was going to happen. Okay, well, well that's, uh, a, that's a doozy. Yeah, no shit. Well, I mean, that's pretty much how I watched it. I caught it on, like, TV and was just like, oh, this is an interesting movie. It's, like, kind of charming. Right. You're, like, it's, it's cool just, to, like, hang out in Italy for a while with these people. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's a very, like, cool moments in the 50s where, like, everything is good. And right. There's some jazz and some cool outfits. Yeah. 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 And, and then uh, I love the vacationing in Italy genre of movie. Me too. <laughs> it, re it reminds me of Call Me By Your Name in that sense. Yeah. Um, except nobody ends up getting killed in that movie. Um, and then all of a sudden, Jude Law takes Sharp a turn. Face. Sharp turn. Sharp turn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that's it really like it really opens his face up too. Like uh, that shot, <laughs> like from Damon's perspective, looking up at Jude Law as he's like trying to strangle him to death is fucking horrifying yeah right like there's this giant gash across his yeah. face he's like grimacing and yelling at him that's like, like zombie movie stuff yeah right it really there. is and yeah. like it's just it, it contrasts so hard with like literally every single thing that's happened before in that movie like the the sharp turn like talk about an act break right like yeah. <laughs> there it is we're doing something different after that moment um did you like it what do you think I don't think I did, yeah. admittedly. So, like, there were definitely numerous scenes that really drew me in that I thought were really intense and well done. Um, I like some of the performances for sure. But besides that, I I don't know. There were lots of sections of the movie where I just kind of lost interest in what was going on. Really? It felt like nothing was happening. Um, it's, and, it's a yeah. slow burn, for yeah. sure. It's like 240, right? It rings it's 220. Out. No, it's like 218. Yeah. If it's slow though. It's not a really. It's not the Warriors. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. I yeah. I guess I had a very different reaction to the to this movie. Both this time when I watched it here and the numerous times I've watched it before. <laughs> this time, to me, this is just like high tension front to back the whole time. Like there's there's so much here to just like draw me in. Like these characters are articulated so well. Right. I feel like you know. Tom Ripley and Dickie Greenleaf, the Jude Law character, just front to back, within the space of really a half an hour, mm -hmm. 45 minutes into this movie, like, y there is so much complexity and nuance to these characters and how they interact with one another, and just how the, the, the tension and the cruelty arising from those interactions, like, to me, that is, that is just riveting content, like, that mm -hmm. is just really, really great, great filmmaking. Um, so I'm shocked to hear <laughs> that your complaint about this movie is that it wasn't that it didn't dry in. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is just the type of narrative that I don't really go for. Wow, okay. Yeah. That, that, well, that, that, is, that, goes. that is fair. Um, what do we think of Matt Damon? Because he's really the, he's our lead here. He, he is the one coming off his big Oscar win with Good Will Hunting and kind of takes a chance with a weird murder movie um, after he's a huge star. He looks... Very weird. Yes. He doesn't look like Matt Damon. He looks like he's had a lot of work done since. Uh, I think he just looks like uh, Matt Damon in this one. Something about the teeth, like, for yeah. me. It seems like he's had braces or something to, like, Maybe. sort out his, yeah, like, th youthful, odd looks. Yeah. yeah it, it, he's I very young when he made this, though, right? He's got to be, like, 20. I don't think he's quite that young, but he's yeah. young. Because... Um, 
Yeah, this is obviously after Good Will Hunting because that's what made him famous. Um, and he, yeah, there's something kind of unhuman about his look here, right? Yeah. Like he, he he has an alien quality to him. Well, he still is handsome, right? Like I, th I think he's still a good-looking guy in this, but it's this anonymous, otherworldly handsomeness as opposed to the Jude Law character who looks very much uh, vibrant and alive and magnetic and charismatic in this movie. Like you know why he was supposed to be the next big thing when you watch this movie, right? Like that, that is crystal clear because yep. he is, you just are drawn to him as soon as he, whenever he's on screen. Um, as opposed to Matt Damon, who is still, you know, a movie star and still looks like a movie star, but is giving us a more unsettling look. Have right? we seen much from Jude Law lately? I feel like I haven't. Oh, uh, yeah, his his star did he, not take he's off. He's in the Fantastic Beasts. He's that's true. He's um, uh, what's his name? He's he's Dumbledore. Dumbledore. He's okay. Dumbledore. He's around. Yeah, so yeah, he's he's making money, but he's not. He doesn't have you know. Yeah, a, he was a in like born. Match Point, but that was like ten years ago at this point. Yeah, yeah I like that movie. I like that movie, too. Yeah, I thought that was good. It's um, actually quite similar to this movie. Yes, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> it is. Um, but I think that you can see why he was supposed to be the next next big thing right? in this movie. Um, and same thing with Gwyneth Paltrow and, and Cate Blanchett. It's even funnier that they, like, kill him. Yes. Because he's like, yeah. you're like, oh, this is going to be, like, a buddy comedy or something. Or something. And yeah, or like, like a, a, a manners uh, drama or some kind of period piece. Yeah. Romance thing. Yeah. And it's abruptly it not that. murder. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that it's kind of extraordinary that uh, Minghella managed to talk these four actors into appearing in this movie at this point in their career. Right? Yeah. And that he, they especially managed to talk Jude Law into appearing for the first hour and then getting, getting killed off, and that's that. Yeah. Uh, I think part of it is that he's coming off his own Oscar win for English Patient, and that movie was mm -hmm. a huge fucking deal. Uh, probably bigger than Goodwill Hunting in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, have you guys seen English Patient? I have not. I've seen the Seinfeld episode. Me too. <laughs> where she hates yeah, it. I've seen that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, really boring. Yeah, I saw, I saw English <laughs> Patient when I was no, in I've, high school. I've seen at least parts of it. Yeah. I know it's about heroin. Yeah, and war. <laughs> it's like a war. Yeah, and, uh, they, like it's a like a love. It's a romance. Like yeah. yes, it's definitely a romance. Yeah. Um, so yeah, because I saw it in high school, and I think that I shouldn't have seen it in high school because I remember not liking it at all, and mm -hmm. I kind of want to return to it to see if it holds up for that. I think I've seen like the middle hour of that movie. It's not short <laughs> either. Like yeah. the English patient is. <laughs> it's like a solid three or something. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, there's a reason Elaine was complaining about the length yep. yeah. so much. Uh, that's a great episode. She ends up seeing it like three or four times yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, her yeah. boss like forces her to watch it. <laughs> because she doesn't like it. Yeah. yeah. Which is funny. Um, but yeah, so I think that that's part of the reason he managed to pull in the cast that he did is that he at the time had some pull as the guy who directed English patient and was like the prestige director at the mm -hmm. time because that was a, an era when major studios were still making these big giant three-hour war romance epics. There's <laughs> apparently like anymore. a few versions of this movie that have been made. Too. Yes, this is not the like only one. This is the definitive one because the one that we know. But like Dennis Hopper played Ripley in a version Ripley's Game. Yeah, um, that movie yeah. was made twice. Uh, the other one had John Malkovich as Ripley. Gotcha. There was a version of the talented Mr. Ripley that was made in France uh, in the seventies. Gotcha. It's called Purple Noon. Um, that I think it's called Purple Noon. 
that was not as good as this movie. Okay. Um, so these are all movies that are based on the same book, or are there multiple no, so books there's, about there's this multiple character? Ripley books. There are multiple okay. Ripley yeah. books. Um, the first one was Talented Mr. Ripley. I think there's at least three or four Ripley books, all written by Patricia Highsmith, um, who also wrote uh, Price of Salt, which Carol is based on, that Kate Blanchett appears in in 2016 or whenever that but movie it, came it's out. It's like kind oh. of Silence of the Lambs-like, right? Yeah. Where it's like centered around this psychopath and right yeah uh, her, I've read the book I've read I, I don't know much about it so okay I, I, I can't I, I read it in yeah. college um, it is much less explicit with its homosexuality mm-hmm. uh, that movie I think is about in the movie that book I think is more about Ripley fighting with the fact of his homosexuality where he is constantly changing his identity and constantly moving from place to place and is impermanent because he's trying to flee from the knowledge that he is gay mm-hmm. and that he cannot cope with that. That's interesting because I had read a review that it was like, it said the, maybe they were referring to another film in the canon, but there's apparently another document where it's like, it's not really a concern of his. That's the yeah. Purple Noon movie. Okay. Which doesn't really talk about his homosexuality much at all. The mm-hmm. book doesn't state it explicitly, right? But yeah. Patricia Highsmith is certainly known as, she was a lesbian, and is, wrote Price of Salt, which is like the lesbian romance novel of the era, um, which became Carol. Uh, so the popular reading is that Ripley is gay, and his subterfuge is a, an attempt to hide that, that gayness. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie, he's not struggling with the fact that he's gay. I think he's struggle. I think this is. I think this is a movie about being in the closet. Period. Mm-hmm. I think that, that that's mostly what this film is about. It's about the struggle of concealing your homosexuality from the people around you, less than concealing it from yourself. Um, although that is still here as well. But I think that that is really the fundamental message of the movie, um, or f- the fundamental theme of the movie, is the struggle of staying in the closet and how staying in the closet ruptures your own identity and you and how it can and can destroy your sense of self um, which is what happens in this film he loses who he is um, he never if he had an identity in the first place no. that is something that I was a bit confused about by this movie because mm-hmm. uh, I noticed all the implications that he was gay throughout the movie sure. right but then like he spends a lot of the movie pretending like you know, making up a personality or pretending to be someone else, right? So I can't tell which parts of it are him pretending and trying to gain favor with someone and which parts are actually really him. Yeah. Um, and so it was hard to say if he, like, you know, sensed, um, like, you know, some homosexuality in someone he's trying to gain advantage uh, on and is, like, kind of putting on the pretense to try to, you know... Well, I think what's important is that, like, every moment in the film, like, when he's revealed, essentially. So, like, with Jude Law, he, like, makes a romantic pass at Jude Law, who... And is rebuffed. And is rebuffed. Yeah. So he kills Jude Law. And then Freddy, played by Phil, Phil, Philip Seymour Hoffman, kind of calls him out and was like, like, I know that you're a weirdo and, and a psycho. And so he's, like, revealed for, like, who he is. Mm-hmm. And so he kills Philip Seymour Hoffman. And then at the <laughs> end of the movie, when he kills his lover, it's because he's been, like, caught by this other woman on the boat. And again, yeah. it's like he can't, he can't like, escape someone, like, catching him, essentially. Right. And, and that's, and, in a sense, the tragedy of the character as well, is yeah. that 
because he is so far in the closet and so afraid to reveal his sexuality, which is to say reveal himself to anybody, that he ends up, even when he finds someone who has affection for him in a sincere way, which the Peter character did at the, mm-hmm. end, at the end of this film, he has to destroy that person. Yeah. He has to remove them from his, from his life. And the movie, I don't think, lets Ripley off the hook. I think the movie is aware of him as a, as a crazy person, but I think we're, it's also sympathetic, mm-hmm. in a sense, to the I murderer. Even, I don't even know if he's crazy, right? He, like... Not crazy, is, is but... He's very, um, like, intentional. Like, he is yeah, a murderer. He's, like, outside of society, for sure. Or, like, the norms of society. Right. Yeah, I mean, th- yeah. Th- there's a... And there's a great Gatsby-ness to this film, both in the sense that it takes place during a similar era, but also in the sense that it's this... He's not just posturing for being straight or not or for being gay or not. He's posturing towards wealth, right? Yeah. Uh, so much of this movie is about him coming across as more affluent and more privileged than he actually is. Yeah. Throughout the film, I was like, maybe it's okay he's, like, murdering all these people because they're all <laughs> just, like, assholes. <laughs> he's just rich <laughs> jerks that, like, don't do anything. Right. And, like, yeah, that, that's not why he's murdering them, though. And they are, like, all, like, except for Gwyneth Paltrow, they're, like, pretty bad people in general, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Freddie well, in particular, who's, like, kind well, of a scoundrel. Freddie's an interesting character. That's the, yeah. that's the Philip Seymour Hoffman character. Yeah. And I think what I find compelling about him is that he... Oh, it's very, like, he, he's cool. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, he's, yeah. he is cool. Yeah. He, he is never fooled by Ripley for a minute. Yeah. Right? He's the mm-hmm. only one that is never at any point bamboozled by him. He sees through him when they first meet and are on that boat. They see, he sees through his, his bad clothing. He sees through his scheme to, like, just milk... Dickie's dad for all the money that he can and to use Dickie's stuff as much as he can. Every There's no yep. line at all where Freddy is taken in by anything that Ripley has to say. Um, and I think that that is an, an interesting figure to place in this movie. Um, and, and it's crystal clear why he then has to kill him off because anyone that can see through and to anything true about Tom Ripley needs to be killed. Um, so, yeah. And, and, Phil, and Philip Seymour Hoffman plays it in like this, like this haughty kind of confidence that is at the same time repulsive and attractive, mm-hmm. right? Where he is a jackass, but he's also right. And <laughs> that is such a pitch perfect way to, to frame that character. And, it, and Philip Seymour Hoffman is just the right kind of guy for that kind of, that kind of job. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think his character is probably the best in the movie. I, I, it's, which, it's he, awesome. Yeah, and he's only yeah. in like two scenes or two moments, right? Like it's they're, they're when they're joined. Kind of three. Yeah, you're uh, right. Okay, so yeah. but not very many. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> a movie that's you know two twenty, um, but he still like leaves such an impre- uh, an impact and a, it's such a, a an impression on a, on the film. Very yeah. typical of of Philip Seymour Yeah, R.I.P. Like he's he's. Great. It's sincere loss. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. unfortunate that he uh, it was heroin, right? He's a heroin addict. Uh, I I'm, I know it was he was clean outright for a while. He didn't drink at all, and he drank for the first time in many years at the rap party for the master with PTA. Um, and I think it was it was apparently that that really was the first step towards his <laughs> his conclusion. Yeah, um, which is. Really sad, because he was clean for years, mm-hmm. years and years. And that's all it took, was just that one more drink. 
Yikes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've, seen, we've seen him in a lot of movies now, and yeah. every time he always has such a presence on screen, even when he's <clears> playing <throat> very different characters. Almost right. Famous, he was great in... And then Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights, yeah. It was the other one that we've seen him in. I think that was the Big three. Lebowski. And Big, yeah, and Big Lebowski. All, th all four of those performances, drastically different. Yeah. But he, uh, he's so good at finding these like little kernels of humanity and these like weird characters are off-putting characters. I, I, I do yeah. notice that he tends to play a bit more colorful of a character and that yeah. helps him steal the scene more but he plays in a very convincing way, a very interesting way. Right, but not not even all the time. Like we haven't seen, um, what's that movie that he did with uh, Rachel McAdams? It was one of his last movies. It was like a very dry spy thriller. Oh, um, I know what you're talking about. A Most Wanted Man. Yeah. Um, he, he was in this movie oh, called... I that. Yeah, it, I liked it. I think a lot of people didn't because it was super boring. But yeah. <laughs> I, I was bored out of my mind. I really liked the ending. Movie. I really liked the ending of that movie. Yeah. Um, but he plays like this like workaday CIA spy who's not doing anything flashy, not being anyone up, pretty much in a, in a desk all day. Mm -hmm. And again, the same guy that was Freddie Miles here, that was in Big Lebowski and... Uh, Boogie Nights can play like this really reserved character and still make it magnetic and interesting. Yep. Uh, so really a generational talent. Um, can't, can't say enough. Yeah. He does villain well too. He was in that Mission Impossible Third movie. Third one. Yeah. I remember him doing great in that one. Yeah, exactly. And, he, and there's like a villainous quality to Freddie Miles here too, right? Yeah. Like uh, on the one level we know that he is correct, right? <laughs> like Tom is a liar and a murderer. Um, and, uh, but on another level we also realize that he's like Spoiling the fun, right? Like yeah. he's here to, to end things, um, and so he rides that line. Uh, yeah, and since uh, Ripley is the protagonist, there's always a bit of like, it's kind of scary his interactions with Freddy, since you worry mm -hmm. like at what moment Ripley might be exposed because you know that <coughs> Freddy's on to him and you can expose him at any moment. Yeah, yeah, and and so like, should you be fearing for his life or should you be rooting for him to? you know, stop this guy. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm, I was kind of torn between that during this movie. Right. I, I think another thing that I noticed on, on this viewing in terms of uh, Ripley's relationship with the truth and with lies is that when he can, he avoids stating explicitly false things. So the moment I'm thinking of, there are several, but the clearest moment, I think, is when he's being interrogated by the Italian police um, like the second or third time when he has the forged suicide note that he wrote from Dickie and the police asks him, oh, did you kill Freddie Miles and then Dickie Greenleaf? And Matt Damon gets enraged. He's like, no, I did not kill Freddie Miles and then Dickie Greenleaf. And like, that's technically true because he killed Dickie Greenleaf and then <laughs> Freddie Miles. <laughs> and he like gets really indignant about this. And there's little bits like that throughout the movie where like someone will state some fact that's like, technically not correct or he will say something that's technically right despite being massively misleading and present it as just truth. He also uh -huh. tells Jude Law like straight up at the beginning of the movie like I'm good at impersonating people. Right. Yeah that was weird. And then does it. He tells right. him no space and <laughs> right. Jude Law never suspects him. Yeah not for a second. About anything. Like, yeah. yeah. What? Not, not for a second. Um, and, and that's again, like, this is the whole premise of the character, that he's good at impersonating people. Jude Law doesn't suspect anything when he's asking him for his signature. Right. When <laughs> he's already said that he's good at copying signatures, like... Right, and then, like, they have a real, fairly involved conversation about penmanship and, like, what it means and, like, how he can examine it and understand it really well, and, like, none of that raises a red flag. 
um, for, for Dickie. Um, but again, I think it speaks to the, the fundamental problem with this character is that he lacks any self. He lacks any, any identity and has to acquire it from outside of himself. And sometimes that means acquiring things, which is the $1,000 from, from Mr. Greenleaf, acquiring the jacket at the beginning of the movie from the Princeton guy, which is really what initiated this yeah. whole sequence of events, because um, he has nothing in himself. Because he is denying who he actually is. Um, it's, I wanted to run this by you guys. So it's kind of implied that he also killed Jude Law's mistress at yes. the beginning of the film? Possibly, yeah. Possibly, okay. It yeah, like, you, it, it, it's, it's, they leave it open that like she could have committed suicide or he uh, killed her. Or that Jude Law killed her. Or that Jude Law, oh yeah. yeah, didn't think about that. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I think that was the most clear hint. Uh, okay. um, for me was that he that, that Jude Law figured out that this woman is pregnant by him. He doesn't want an illegitimate child running around and he doesn't care about anyone because Jude Law is also an asshole and he shows her in the, gotcha. in the ocean. And that would make sense because like we see all of like Ripley's kills yep. essentially. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like maybe makes it mentally okay for Ripley to like kill Jude Law. Because yeah, then it becomes an act of a vengeance or yeah. heroism or something, justice. Yeah. Um, yeah. What well, would it imply the murder besides it being like convenient for the character? Is it like his reaction to the subject being brought up in the future? Right. I, yes. And there's also, I think it's actually stated at some point that um, he might have done something that you thought that you Okay, that's true. Because like the way I read well, it, I saw, the, no, go ahead. In the fake suicide note that Ripley writes, yes, that he was implies a, that Jude yeah, okay. killed it. But then I was like, but did he? I don't right, exactly. Yeah. Maybe. Because yeah. like, what I saw was you see the the pregnant woman kind of looking sadly at well, Jude Law with his actual fiance, right? Mm-hmm. And so that gives a clear implication that she offed herself. Yeah, right, which is what Jude Law would want. But it is also maybe she confronted him. Maybe she, yeah, yeah who knows? He's not good with confrontation. No, he's not. <laughs> As they say multiple times in the movie. Exactly. Um, so yeah, let, let's, speaking of which, let's talk about Jude Law and that performance because... He, I think, absolutely knocks it out of the park here. I think it is just such a strong um, character throughout and that he characterizes him so quickly. And, and, like, you get a sense of who this guy is, like, after the first conversation that Matt Damon has with him. And a sense of the relationship that the two of them have, which is really what drives the film anyway. I think he plays well off Gwyneth Paltrow, too. Yes. Who's, like, kind of playing this, like, bubbly character. Mm-hmm. just, like there for fun and, and kind of oblivious to yeah. what's she's going on. She's a little on. smarter than she lets on. Yeah. She yeah. figures it out but has no power to actually yeah, yeah, you're right. exercise that knowledge. You're right, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and it, I, I think what I find most compelling about that performance is how well Jude plays with the the social cruelty in this movie. Like there's, there's so, there are several sequences and I think what really eventually drives Ripley to murder is like these little acts of of derision and disregard that occurred just on the social level but are so biting and like just cut right to the core of how Ripley wants to see himself. It's a, yeah, it's a pretty catty movie. Yes, yeah. at least for yeah. the first hour. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's a lot of like, we're friends. Oh, now we're not friends. It's right. It's like, but it's like super serious to the point of murder. Right. It, yeah. Like the, this, the moment I'm thinking of is when uh, Freddie Miles first shows up, and they they go to that record shop, mm-hmm. um, and 
Jude Law like is just trying to get Matt Damon to go away yeah. without saying go away I don't want to spend time with you anymore and he has this moment where he's like oh no didn't you want to go sightseeing oh no didn't you want to see all these things and I'm going to hang out with Freddy for a while and they eventually like literally like, shove him out the door <laughs> to, to get away from him and you see that Matt Damon knows exactly what's going on and has no power or agency to change it yeah. um, and it, that, that kind of, those kind of moments um, I think really define the character. Yeah, well. it feels like a very high school movie because it's like <laughs> yeah. Well, and they're all and it, it should it's right because like they're all rotating relationships of favoritism and yeah, they're all young people yeah. with no real responsibilities and a yeah. lot of money to do whatever the hell they want with. This yeah. is what they're going to occupy their time with, right? And it's it's a small wonder that Tom Ripley, who we see early in the movie, has not much at all, uh, wants to be a part of that. Right, mm -hmm. and, that, and that's the great Gatsbyness of this film, I think. He's got to join the clique. Right, exactly. So you like you see him. He's a he's an usher in a bathroom early in the movie. His he has like this crummy little apartment that like bits are falling off the ceiling, stuff like that. Um, and I, I he, he didn't go to Princeton. He, he didn't. A, he did not actually go to Princeton. He's a probably, piano tuner. Or probably anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think you see moments like that and like the class dynamics and class envy in this movie, um, and it it makes sense why that would strike so close to him, um, that, that kind of social cruelty. Kind of related to that is like jazz is like a big theme of this mm -hmm. movie, like the music, how it's like seen as like a young person's music and how it's like an, an act of yeah. rebellion and like... Because his father, the old guy, hates jazz. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like very like cultural, like they go to Naples and they go to like a jazz bar there and it's like really racy and they're up on stage. Yeah, that's a great scene. Singing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and really one of the most uh, thematically significant scenes in the film, because uh, that's when they're singing that um, I Want I want to Be American, I think is the name of the song, like yeah. what it translates to, and which is exactly what uh, Ripley is struggling with throughout the film, like finding the, that sense of, of who he is. So it just lists off all of these like superficial things, baseball, whiskey and soda, <laughs> right? Like all this stuff that defines evidently what it is to be and, American. And to him that's jazz, because he right. actually like, he doesn't really like it, but he listens to it to, he forces to get acceptance. Right, from Dickie specifically. Yeah, right. but, <laughs> but also all of these people, like to be right. in this social circle is to do that. Right, and, yeah. and it's, so it's all, it's all posturing, and that song really is just about a list of things that you can acquire to posture to, as. To look American. American, right, whereas that is precisely Tom's MO throughout the movie, right, that he's just posturing to look a certain way um, over and over again. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that even Ripley understands the tragedy of that, right, and, and the, the tragedy of him being unable to change it, because you have that sequence closer to the end of the film when he's with the guy that actually likes him for who he is and like, like spending time with him, and he has that overwrought kind of high school melodramatic metaphor about like the darkness being hidden in the basement and that he can't let anybody in there and that it's locked away forever and that he wants to erase himself and erase that part of him. Um, and I think that you see him acknowledging that yes, he's destroyed who he is forever and there's no way to go back to that um, and that that is a, a tragic thing. Um, and to me that rings true um, and that for the character and like that makes sense for the character and I, I buy the drama of it. And, a lot of that's Matt Damon's performance, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This movie reminds me a lot of Dexter, the show. Okay, I haven't it, seen Dexter, but it, it feels yeah, like no very directly inspired because, like, Dexter is someone who's like very good at mimicking like a normal person, mm -hmm. but he <laughs> he is a serial killer and he is compelled to kill. 
Okay. Um, but he's also like very good at hiding that that uh, side of him. Um, and it wouldn't be much of a show if he got caught right away. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, but I like the first few seasons of that show for that reason because it's like it's a very interesting play between like the things that he does are monstrous, but to like and interesting positive end like because <laughs> he kills bad people right like he only kills the... other murderers okay so he, right. he murders murderers Got and it. that's like that's his thing and he um he also works in a a forensics laboratory so he knows like how to that's handy how to cover it up right um he's a blood spatter expert because he is obsessed with blood <laughs> <laughs> a blood splatter expert yeah okay. but um it's also feels very influenced by this film because it's it's set in Miami and it's like a very like alluring okay. setting. So it's BTS all like everywhere. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. all like really warm sun tones at, at night. It's you know that kind of like club atmosphere mm -hmm. around Miami and the, this film is like a lot like that where like Italy is like very compelling in this film. It looks like a really great place to be. Like it's Right. Well, it, you it's, understand it's, so much of like why he wants to stay there. Like he, they make yeah, it look so it's, seductive. Yeah, it's just like a constant summer vacation. The yeah. culture is is nobody works. Yeah, nobody, yeah. <laughs> I love that they managed to go to both yeah. Rome and Venice, and you see all the very beautiful sights in both places. Yeah, yeah. and they go to Naples. They do like the full yeah. Italy tour. Mangia, my understanding is a fake place. Yeah, I tried to find it. I couldn't find like a real mm -hmm. place, but. But you, yeah. you know, you're, you're absolutely like the, and it's shot in like this very classic Hollywood way, right? Where it's like made to look as yeah, extravagant. A lot of yellow tones. And and yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's like a very warm place. Yeah. Right. I yeah. think it, it's interesting that they wait until the end of the film to go to Venice, mm -hmm. right? Where Venice is, of course, the city that's sinking into the sea, <laughs> slowly being drawn in by by the earth and it's crumbling and uh, this, this decaying portion of Italy. Which and I, guess is the, I get the impression that Venice is very much about just the tourism, and so it's very much about the appearances, right? Sure. And then, like, people always comment about how when you actually show up to Venice, it's, like, very crowded, and it smells bad because all yeah. the canals are dirty. Yeah, and, and all the pigeons, which they make note of in this film. Yeah. They, like, they walk through, like, a herd of pigeons. <laughs> yeah, so it's a yeah. similar yeah. thing about, like, appearances versus identity. That's a good read, yeah. And, and, but, and it's not just appearances versus identity, but it's about the facade literally crumbling around him, mm -hmm. right? So, like, the thing that, has, that he's constructed is built on an unstable foundation, right? And it is sinking into the sea. Um, and, they, I mean, they could have... Put, they could have set the action in Venice at any point along here, but they wait until the end when he is really on the ropes and like barely getting away with it and like barely yeah. escaping. Um, and I think that that's that's intentional. That's that's thoughtful. I still think Venice is quite nice, though. I still recommend okay. you visit it. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a fascinating place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, it's I've kind been, of extraordinary that it exists at all. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, like it, it feels like a city that should not have been. <laughs> shouldn't have been built. Yeah. Um, I guess they didn't. They weren't thinking it's about that. It's a testament to the hubris of man, just like the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Yes, exactly <laughs> like that. Um, there's a lot of uh, reflections in this movie, like a lot of mirror imagery in the sense that like literal mirrors show up. Um, I think you see yeah. them used to dual effect, because um, early in the film, you see mirrors as a uh, I think Ripley wanting to reflect 
see a reflect, seeing a different reflection than what he's actually seeing in the mirror. Right? He's wanting to reflect the world around him back onto himself. Yeah, there's like that one scene where he's like in uh, Dickie's tuxedo and like yes, pretending to be him, and he gets caught. Yeah, like that—that is—that is, that is such, a such a great composition, right? Because the one you're describing is—it's a body-length mirror. Matt Damon is standing behind it. You can see his head on top of the mirror, and then Jude Law is appearing in reflection in the mirror with Matt Damon's head floating above him, right? The imagery being used there is clear that Dickie is trying to place himself in, or that, see, I did it. Tom Ripley <laughs> is trying to place himself in Dickie's position. Um, but then later in the film, I think you see uh, mirrors being broken. Um, there's that the moment when he is on the scooter and wipes out, mirror ends up breaking, and also distorted. That's bad luck. It, yeah, yes, it is bad luck, but literally, it, but also distorted reflections. So you start seeing reflections in water mm -hmm. that, that is getting rippled. You see, you see his reflection in the on the surface of the piano as it's being closed. So you mm -hmm. see this warped. You know, unclear version of his face as his identity becomes more muddled and clear and simply absent a lot of the times. And I think that 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 clarity of metaphor and that clarity of of uh, visual theme uh, throughout the film it speaks to a, a, a thoughtfulness from the director from Mangala. Um, and I imagine that if you started watching specifically for it, you'd see you could probably see many examples yeah. of how reflections develop and and change and change in meaning throughout the film. Uh, it concludes, of course, with the shot from literally in the closet, looking out at Tom as he's sitting on the bed, having killed the only man that ever loved him. Multiple reflections reflecting each other, reflecting him, and it doesn't become clear at all which one is the real one. Mm -hmm. And I think that you see that kind of just front to back completion of a, of a, a visual metaphor um, is really sharp filmmaking and, yeah. and I think you like to see that. That was crushing to like yeah. hear his Jamie's uh, voiceover but knowing that he's like getting killed. Yeah, it's yeah. crushing me. After yeah. they just had that very like genuine interaction with each other. Yeah. yeah. It, it really like the most sincere show of affection that Tom has received in the entire movie. Right. I guess that's one of the like kind of two very real moments that Ripley kind of breaks out a character into in the whole movie because there's that one where you can see him explicitly crying because mm -hmm. uh, he knows what he has to do, what he's about to do. Yep. Uh, and of course, then there's an earlier one where he kills Ripley where he like he also cries in that scene. Yeah, well, you have that shot um, of it's almost a bird's eye straight down into the boat with Dickie's corpse and Tom curled up against it, like as the boat rocks back and forth and you see the blood and the water at the bottom of the boat, and it's just like this heartbreaking shot. Um, and I think that that speaks to how well these char that, that character specifically has been built, because you just see him violently murder a guy, right, and you the next scene reads as sympathetic. Mm -hmm. The next scene reads as, uh, as affecting and emotional and essentially on the side of the murderer. And that again, part that that's good character work early on, paying off at at, at a climactic moment. And I think I've kind of discovered what led to my confusion in the movie about his homosexuality, mm -hmm. um, because in that scene on the boat, um, when you know he actually reacts genuinely for the first time, uh, like after discussing <coughs> it now, it seems obvious mm -hmm. like what was happening there, uh, especially with that scene after with him embracing the corpse. Um, but I didn't pick up on that because like. 
the kind of instigating act is when Dickie rebuffs him and calls him boring. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I, up to that point, I thought maybe that Ripley was all about trying to appear like a more interesting or important person than he really is, because he had done that a lot, right? Yeah. Like he like ended up appearing like a Princeton alum and like joining this kind of social circle and he wants to like be accepted, right? And so I thought the reason that he reacted so strongly there um, was because this meant that he had failed and he was revealed to be kind of an unimportant person. Yeah. No, um, that's how I read that and then they kind of threw wrong. me off of the homosexuality. No, I don't think you're wrong angle. at all. Like I, th I think that that is exactly probably what he was thinking and what he was feeling. But I think also that the critique of boring is important in that someone who is boring is lacking a self. Right? Like if you're mm -hmm. truly boring and have nothing to offer each other, it's it, the accusation is that there's nothing inside of you mm -hmm. to offer. Right? And that is true of Tom. Right? Like there, or that is what he feels about himself, is that he has nothing to offer the other people, therefore he has to steal a, 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 a self from others, right? And to steal it from the things that are around him and from the, the, what, he, what he consumes and mm -hmm. what, he can, what he can posture as. And when Dickie calls him boring, that is piercing right through all of that yep. and right into the heart of the, the lack of person that you are. Um, that is really a, a fundamental fear for, for the Tom character. Yeah, I like the turn late in the movie where the father's like, he like introduces the investigator like, yeah, Philip Baker Hall. Yes. <laughs> yes. Who was in um, a million things? A million things. But yeah. he was in. Um, he was in Seinfeld. Law and Order. Right? He was in Seinfeld. Um, he was the library detective. Was he in like as a recurring character? Maybe. Uh, I don't yeah, think. So. I might be wrong. Okay, but yeah, he was. Yeah, he was the library him, detective. In I think of him as a. He's in some crime show. Okay. I'm sure probably many. Yeah. 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 Um, um, he was in Hard Eight uh, with PTA. That yeah. was PTA's first movie, which is underrated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's like, we know what happened. So like talk to him and then yeah. they leave the room like very dramatically. You think that he's You're like, oh no, yeah. yeah, he's done. And then he's like, oh yeah, like Dickie like killed himself and like killed his mistress. So like, <laughs> yeah. and here, here's a bunch of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> take, take this money and mm, that's it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry about your friend. Yeah, like <laughs> you've been a very good friend of my son. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then well, and uh, the, explicitly Gwyneth Paltrow is like, I know that you murdered him in front of everybody, and they're yeah. just like, oh, don't listen to this woman. This is the like, crazy lady. Yeah. Here she goes. <laughs> they like force her onto a boat. Oh like, my god. Uh, right. So I guess I was wrong earlier like when I said that. 50s sexism. Like, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. When I said yeah. that Freddie was the only one that saw it through, I'm like, Gwyneth Paltrow saw it through. Yeah, yeah like, I saw oh throughout god. the movie, you see her give him these like looks of like, something's up here. Right, but only late, like early on, she's like, oh, he's just kind of a weird, like, nice guy. Yeah, but like yeah. after the murder, she suspects yes. stuff, yes. and she catches on pretty quickly there. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, and uh, the other great line I like about that is that Philip Baker Hall says something like, "Oh, in America, uh, we, we don't deal with that bullshit. Like we cut through the bullshit." And it's like, "Well, no. <laughs> like here you are, just like buying wholesale into all of the bullshit that this <laughs> this guy's been peddling this entire time." Um, so I thought I thought that was pretty good too. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, like, and 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 that's, I think, another poignant moment in this movie because, in a sense, he ends up with all the material things that he thought he wanted. At the end of this movie, the he's not mooching off anyone anymore on a technical level. Like the 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 money is his. He has the prestige. He has he has a clean name, right? Like he can live under his name. Nobody suspects him of murdering anybody anymore. He has the respect of 
the father, he has the respect of some of the peers in, in the movie, and he is absolutely unhappy and devastated, and ends the movie completely alone. And I think that that is also very important, that the thing that you thought was going to save you is not, is not working. It's well, not theoretically, working. if, if uh, Kate Blanchett wasn't on that boat, he would have gone on to live a, have a happy time with his lover, right? Yeah, maybe, but she was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, she was. Um, so yeah, poor Kate Blanchett. I mean, she kind of gets yeah. around in this movie. She's kind of like a throwaway character. Like, right. She's really only a vehicle for like being just like another kind of like smarmy rich girl. Like, Which is a perfect role for, for yeah. Kate Blanchett. That's <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. I think that's I do love her personality in this movie. Yeah. I thought it was fun. Yeah. It was charming. Yeah. There's more like there's a nuance to it that's interesting because she's kind of like a a tragic. Character. Right, I mean, because she, she, if anyone was like bamboozled in this movie, it was her. It's her for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, she's she's the one that gets strung along, like yeah. she gets toyed with, like to the the bitter bitter end. I mean, she's just used as like a prop or a tool by Ripley to kind of get away with it, right? Yes. Like, there's a lot of so the the scenes I enjoyed the most, I think, were the ones where Ripley gets like almost caught and has to like dodge his way out, right? Mm -hmm. But there's that one where he's in the opera, and yeah. he runs into. Um, what was her Gwyneth name? Gwyneth Paltrow's character, Marge. Um, and, like, they know him as Ripley, but Kate yeah. Blanchett knows him as Dickie, and he, like, sets him up to meet at the coffee shop. And that felt like a bit like a bit of an implausible scene, but then you see how he kind of orchestrated that to mm -hmm. work out in his favor, and I thought that was very clever. Because yeah. he, like, uh, leaves with Kate Blanchett, but, like, doesn't do anything with her and explicitly says that he's still in love with Marge and that kind of thing, so that she would, like, kind of give that information to Marge when they met later. Mm -hmm. um, well, yeah. it, and that's the thing, like, he's actually talented, yeah. right? Like, the title is true. He's very good at getting out of it. Yeah, he is, he is multi-talented, it. right? It's not just, like, he's good at impersonating people. He can, he can play piano, he, he, can, forge. He, he can forge signatures. He appears to be just actually really smart, right? Like, there's a lot of shit that he figures out that's not intuitive and, like, that he has to piece together, like you just pointed out. And, so this this notion that he has nothing to offer or that he has no receptacle for an identity is not true. Like if he were to embrace what is actually good about him and find a way to be constructive about it, he could be a happy person, right? And he's just so obsessed with the idea that his he needs to conceal his homosexuality and that he's poor. It, it destroys him. Mm -hmm. Right, and that's that's it's the downfall of his character is not that he is a boy. The what downfall of the character is that he thinks he's a boy, and it's wrong. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, any uh, closing closing thoughts here? Um, I, I feel like I've said a lot about this movie. Um, I could say more because I love this movie. Yeah. And I think it's complicated. And I great. definitely appreciate it more having discussed it. I just think that that's the goal, like the general construction of the movie. Like didn't really draw me in. For me, for me this is a, how it goes. This is a masterclass. Like mm -hmm. the, to me, this is, this is a, a beautifully directed movie and just a expertly directed movie. It, it, it should be taught in film classes for that purpose. Like I, I think it's great. What about you, Crossman? Uh, I like it. I think it's great. Okay, good. I don't. I don't need to watch it often. Yeah, I've, I've seen this movie several times. Yeah, I think it's it's fine. I'm glad I saw it again. Okay, good. I'm glad you saw it again too. Okay. All right. <laughs> we'll uh, yeah, so we will be back um, with things we've seen. Uh, stay tuned.
And we're back with things we've seen. Uh, so this week, I did not see anything. I didn't have a chance to. Uh, so I guess we'll go to Crossman. <laughs> what did you see? <laughs> Thanks, <Yeah>. Charles. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I watched... Um, so I've been hearing about this movie for a long time, and I was under the impression that it was like not a good movie. And I heard a lot of people kind of talking about like how it was a good movie, actually, and it has like, very interesting politics. And it's actually come up a lot, a lot lately, I think specifically because of the like political moment. I'm trying to guess what it is, I don't know. Um, and I kind of want to see the sequels now. So I watched The uh, the Purge. Oh, okay. The uh, 2013 psychological horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> the premise of the movie, I think we all know, but generally what, what happens in the film is, uh, or the premise of the series is that like one day, one day of the year, like all crime is legal. And this is like fixed a lot of issues um, explicitly in the US in that it's like there's uh, there's no unemployment um, like the what, what? Uh, <laughs> like the, the economy has been fixed and like all these other okay. like aspects to it um, that's that's kind of just a vehicle for the rest of right. the film for so murder the, porn <laughs> which I thought it was going to be and it, it's not Oh, okay. That. The trailers make it seem like that. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what like kind of drove me away from it. Mm. Um, but it's it's actually more interesting than that. So it stars Ethan Hawke um, and the great uh, Lena Headey. Oh, really? Um, okay. Plays his wife, and then there's a couple child actors that are like teen actors that like play their kids, and the spoilers. I mean, the movie's like six years old at this point, so like at not, least. not really spoilers. But um, so. Um, Ethan Hawke is a, like a security system salesman. He's been like very successful in that because of <laughs> the yeah. You got to prepare uh, for that one yeah. day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he's also like a believer in the purge, and so is like Lena Headey. They talk about why it's good, and they they make in like they refer to kind of like a post-apocalyptic government that now kind of like rules the U.S. and they're called the New Founding Fathers. And <laughs> That's they're, <subtle. laughs> they're like they're they're like patriotic citizens within the U.S. where they they're true believers that like the purge is like fix the problems in the U.S. Sure. So it's the day of the purge. Um, they go into like security lockdown with the security systems from his company, um, and then his they kind of like go to different areas in their large suburban house and it's really important that they live in like a gated community they have like a really large house in a, in a gated community because like one of the major themes of this movie is like kind of like intra-community jealousy <laughs> okay. and like suburban jealousy and like kind of like keeping up with the Joneses like sure. kind really of funny. stuff is like one of the major like themes of this movie um, so it, they're his son is like watching the security room like off in one part of the house and this guy like runs into their yard and he's like he's like asking for help he's clear, clearly injured and um his son like opens the security system to let the guy in the house and then they like close the security system and then a few minutes later what as a this group of like kids like kind of like late teen like kids show up and they were hunting that specific guy and they're like if you don't uh throw the guy out and let us kill him we're going to like come in and that's kind of like when 
eventually what it like ends up happening is that they're like they're able to like open the security system and then these like kind of like prep school kids like come in and like hunt the family in the house Got it. and they're wearing like prep school jackets and they have like badges and okay. stuff and mm -hmm. it turns out the guy's homeless and they just want to like kill homeless people in the purge um, and kind of things go from there and I, I was shocked at like how good like like how much I like the politics of this movie like it showed like how kind of like horrible and cutthroat this neighborhood mm -hmm. was that they were like just building larger and larger houses and he's been so successful because of like the the violence of the society that we live in and it really like does a good job of like pointing to that this is an American problem mm -hmm. and the movie like explicitly says that that they're like mm -hmm. they all agree that they love America and that they think the purge is a good idea because it helps fix the problems in America and it's a nod to like the overt violence of like the militarism and police state of, of American society sure. and how if they just like channel this into this one kind of like explosion of violence it helps everybody like kind of get it out of their system in this society um, so I was like kind of pleasantly charmed by <laughs> this movie um, it's not as gory as I thought it was going to be because I thought it was going to be kind of like a saw style movie where they're just like that's yeah. how it's pitched people getting chopped maybe it's up and just stuff the like trailers that. for the sequels though because it might be one of those series where the sequels like yeah. lose sight of the politics and dumb it down for the action yeah there are like gory moments in this film but it's not like just like a mindless just like killing everybody like everybody has like clear mm. intentions and that's to me what was most surprising about this film this is like it has a coherent and interesting and good political message. One thing that I didn't like about the film, though, is that, like, Ethan Hawke, at the beginning of the film, his character is, like, explicitly a bad person. Like, he sure. believes in the purge, he profits off of it, mm -hmm. and um, he... We're supposed to, like, feel bad for him later in the film, and that, like, I didn't... I wasn't, like, on that train with the film. Like, he... Mm. He, he ends up, like, sacrificing himself to save his family. And that, like, I didn't, like, take that turn with the film. And the other thing, the other thing I didn't like about the end, um, elsewhere, like, because it's, it's been out for a long time, yeah. is, so all the prep school kids are in the film. What ends up happening is, like, the neighbors of, in, in the neighborhood come right. in and kill all the prep kids and, okay. like, kind of, like, save the family. And then... The family's like, oh, thank you for saving us. And the, and the neighbor's like, oh, no, we're not. We're it's like, you too. we wanted to kill you. We didn't want the prep kids to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, yeah. What ends up happening is uh, the homeless guy, like, ends up saving them because yeah, he, okay. like, he pulls a gun on, on the neighbors. And right. what they do is they kind of have, like, a detente where they're like, okay, we're not going to kill each other. We're just going to hold guns at each other until, until the end of the purge. And it was like, what I didn't like about that ending is that, like, the 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 truly bad people in the film I don't feel like got correctly like punished like if we're on board for like that all these people are like morally corrupted by this violence the right people are not getting punished in this film um, where it's <laughs> like oh we're supposed to like feel bad for Ethan Hawke for sacrificing himself and then we're supposed to be like okay with them like not killing their neighbors who are explicitly psychopaths right uh, and so, profiting off their misery. Yeah. yeah. So I thought up until that point, I thought the film actually did a really 
does like a really interesting thing, and I think it's a surprisingly good film. Oh, and I actually want to see the sequels now because I hear that they're actually better okay. than the first one. They look like they get more political. It looks like the base again based on the trailers. Yeah, it so looks the, like they embrace that. The third one is called like Election Year, and then the yeah. fourth <laughs> one is called um, the first the purge. first purge, and it's set on Staten Island. Of course it is. Uh, next year, I think. Yeah, like, well, and yeah. the trailer is, or like a, this year. is yeah. a, oh, no. a mega hat that says the first purge on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or the poster, rather. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it looks like they embrace that. Yeah. In the trailers, the I think the first purge uh, focuses on a black family. I have no idea. I so don't know. There's a second film, too. It's called, like, Anarchy or something. Yeah, you're right. I don't... I don't know. But I kind of want to watch them now, because, like, this one was good. Um, yeah, that's surprising. It's also surprisingly, like... It's it's shot really well. It's the same director as um, what's the Poltergeist film? Not Poltergeist, but um, <laughs> the Ghost. The, no, the one with all like the trick shots of oh, like it's um, paranormal paranormal activity. It's the same yeah. director or creator or okay. something uh, who who did this. So he's like knows what he's doing. Yeah, they like know how to shoot like in a house and like build tension sure. like within a confined space, and it's like a very confining space. So cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's Maybe, a first. I think you might have sold me on it. Yeah. I might check it out. Cool. Um, I saw Eighth Grade this um, this weekend. And it was great. Uh, this is the. I feel like I just heard about this for the first time today. I think I only heard really? about it because you said you saw it. Yeah. Like this has been. Have, how did you guys miss the trailers for this movie? I feel like I've seen the, this trailer like literally fifteen times. I'm too busy watching the Mission Impossible Fallout trailer <laughs> yeah, for the hundredth no time. Yeah. It's a good. I've been watching the Meg trailer just yeah. on repeat <laughs> on, on loop. Just like an open tab in my browser. Okay. I, I feel like every time it's probably because I go to Alamo more than you do because it's twenty minutes from my house. But it, it literally every movie for the last three months. I feel like has had the eighth grade trailer right okay. before it. I have to go way out of my way to get to an Alamo. So. Yeah, right. Well, I saw it at Angelica, so yeah. that's less out of your way, I guess. Um, but it was great. Um, so it's a, a teenage girl, um, high school comedy, dramedy type of movie. Um, Sounds it, like it's middle school? Yeah, it's her last day. Oh, I guess she's not <laughs> technically a teenager then. She's on the cusp of being a teenager. Uh, the, it's directed by Bo Burnham. Um, yes, the Bo Burnham, who is the musical comedian guy. And yes, the, the Bo Burnham, who is uh, a 30-year-old man directing this movie about a 12- or 13-year-old girl and like her inner life and struggles. Um, it, it joins a collection. I think, we, I think we've seen a lot of these type of movies lately. Um, so we saw Lady Bird last year, um, Edge of 17, Diary of a Teenage Girl, 20th Century Woman. There's been a lot of like coming-of-age uh, girl movies recently. Um, and this is one of the better ones. Uh, I, I think what I like about it is that it's about an unpopular girl, which most of these movies are, but it's not an unpopular girl that's like, you know, unpopular because she's weird or she like has bizarre interests or something. It's, <laughs> I mean, that's Lady Bird, right? Or like that's Edge of Seventeen. And Lady Bird's great. Like, or and, Heathers, I mean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas this movie, it's about just the really quiet girl, right? It's about the girl who like, doesn't have any friends because she's definitely afraid of revealing anything about herself to anybody. Um, and the mechanism that Bo Burnham uses to explore that feels very honest to me in that the movie opens with this girl's YouTube channel and like she's giving advice about how to be uh, an uh, like life advice about being an outgoing person on her YouTube channel and like trying to pitch herself as this you know font of 
middle school knowledge and like sincerely delivers lines like the hard thing about being yourself is that it's not easy um, and <laughs> which, you know no shit um, and so I think that it engages very honestly with how internet culture functions and especially how internet culture functions for people that have social anxiety which is very much what this movie is about um, it, 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 this also adds um, another uh, scene to the growing scenes of dads giving really good advice at the end of movies <laughs> um, similar to like call, call me by call, your call name, me yeah. by your name. Um, <laughs> the, the dad character is great it's a single dad home um, but what I like about the movie is that it stays focused on her and her inner life and it feels like the movie identifies middle school girl problems identifies them accurately and somehow manage to, manages to both treat them with the gravity that the character feels while still acknowledging that middle school girl problems are in the large scheme of things often very silly. Mm -hmm. And to, that feels like a very tender move towards the character. Uh, it feels like a, a, a caring move for the audience that identifies with this character, which is gonna be a lot of the audience, um, I predict. It's it, um, it's a funny movie. It is a sincere movie. I it, 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 I mean it hits normal beats that you expect from this type of you know middle school sucks and life is hard when you're young. Life is hard when you're a young girl, um, but it does it in a way that I think embraces the character uh, with with such honesty and purity that uh, it, it, it elevates it to something more um, and nice. to, to something that other people can embrace and draw from. Uh, so I. It, everyone's been raving about it. I think it's at like a 99 or something, or mm -hmm. 95 or something on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it's a very likable, very easy to appreciate movie. Um, but it, it, don't confuse it for just like a pretty good comedy. Mm -hmm. um, it, this, is a, this is a great movie. and just a, a truly well-made movie and a great performance from a young actor. Um, so yeah, go watch it, eighth grade. Uh, Bo Burnham directed it, which is fucking unbelievable. And it's really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't believe you guys somehow missed the trailer for this movie. For, yep. no, I, for I heard about it today months. for like the first time. That is stunning to me. Uh, go watch it. It, it. Really, it's it's great. It's funny. Um, but what uh, next week? What are what are we watching, Crossman? Uh, I guess in the same vein, I'd like to do Mean Girls. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <All> right. <laughs> I, I feel like I don't even need to watch it. I could probably just recite all of it right now <laughs> for you. Um, but yeah, I, I love Mean Girls. Let's watch it. Yeah. All right. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. If you like the show, share it with people. Um, tell your, your family, your friends, your loved ones, your pets. Um, everybody will like it. Um, and join us next week for Mean Girls.